0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Chicago Tonight. I'm Brandis Friedman. Paris Schutz will join us in a moment. Here's what we're looking at. Former ComEd officials accused of lobbying Michael Madigan for favorable legislation are set to go to trial.
1: Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe.
0: Local bank stocks plummet after Silicon Valley banks collapse. What the bank's implosion could mean for you and your finances. Every working Illinois can get time off for any reason. A new state law gives all workers paid leave.
2: Magic is about transformation, and life is about transformation.
0: And the physician-magician Ricardo Rosencrantz draws upon his Mexican roots and his day job as a doctor for a magical new show. And out of Paris for our top story tonight.
3: Brandis, the trial of the so-called COMED four is set to begin tomorrow. The four former Commonwealth Edison officials are accused of scheming to bribe indicted former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan. WTTW News reporter Matt Masterson joins us now with more. Matt, remind us the charges uh, of the so-called against the so-called COMED four.
1: Right. So these four defendants were charged back in late 2020 with bribery conspiracy, bribery, and falsifying COMED books and records. Uh, as part of this alleged scheme to try to corruptly influence the House Speaker, Michael Madigan, uh, in order to promote state legislation that would have benefited the utility company. Um, the defendants claim this was all just legal lobbying tactics. They didn't do anything wrong. The prosecutors alleged that they provided contacts, contracts, money, and uh, either no-show or low-work jobs to people in Madigan circle to
3: help get this done. And that's really why the prosecutors allege that this crossed that line mm-hmm. between lobbying and bribery. Right. Uh, Matt, uh, remind us who these people are individually. This comment for
1: so it's uh, former Comed CEO and promajori, uh, ex-Comed lobbyist John Hooker, former City Club president Jay Doherty, and longtime Michael Madigan confidant Michael McLean. Uh, and prosecutors say that all of these people had a role to play in this alleged scheme, from allegedly fun- funneling money uh, to in perks to Madigan allies to trying to falsify these records to try to cover everything up.
3: And as I understand, there are seventy or so witnesses lined up already. What about Mike Madigan? Is he included in that list?
1: Almost certainly not. Uh, Madigan, this trial centers all around him in one way or another. He's obviously the biggest part here. But while he won't be at the defendant's table at this uh, trial, he has been charged separately in his own case with racketeering and bribery. That trial's gonna be coming up next year. So with that on the line, there's really no incentive for him to take the witness stand and to try to testify And this early. case has
3: so much intrigue because it's essentially a preview for what that right. uh, case is gonna be. And Central to the evidence in both these cases are wiretap recordings. Is the public going to be able to hear any of those recordings in this case?
1: Uh, in the courtroom, the jury will hear them. Anyone there will hear them. But at, at this point, no one outside the courthouse will be allowed to hear those recordings. The judges ruled that they will not be publicized. He said that they could sensationalize this trial. He doesn't want to hear, have jurors rehearing parts of these cases in media reports outside of the, the courtroom itself. So um, this goes against the practice in a lot of federal cases. But um, for now, it's, it, they're not going to be played for the so public. only if
3: you're okay. Only if you're in the immediate room, you're going to be able to mm-hmm. hear some of those. But you just you can't. Right. You they can't won't re- be made public. Got it. Okay. And, and so Comed's already admitted to its part in this conspiracy. They've paid a hefty fine. Will the jury hear about that? And is that going to be part of the prosecution case here? The Comet already admitted their guilt. Right,
1: They did. They paid a $200 million fine as part of this deferred prosecution plan. As of now, the judges ruled that that will not be coming into evidence at trial. That could change at some point going forward, but for now that will not be a part of the case. Jurors will likely, though, hear testimony from a comment attorney as well as one of the former senior vice presidents who's already f- uh, pled guilty to a bribery charge in relation to this. Who's, he's expected
3: to tell jurors about how this all played out. All right, Matt Masterson, I know that you'll be watching with intrigue, as will we all. Thanks very much. Thanks, Paris. And you can read Matt's full story on our website, wtwcom slash news. Now to brand is for more of today's top stories.
0: Paris, thank you. The annual Taste of Chicago usually falls just after the 4th of July. But this year, it may not happen until after Labor Day. That's because summer concerts and the new NASCAR downtown street race will close at least some of Grant Park nearly every day between May 18th and August 13th. Instead, the city says the taste will pop up in three neighborhood versions over the summer. Humboldt Park in June, the Pullman neighborhood in July, and Marquette Park in August. The Grant Park taste would be put on hold until the weekend after Labor Day if City Council approves it. There's more of this story on our website. A plan to move 659 asylum seekers from the suburbs to a shuttered Kmart in the city has officially been scrapped. WTTW News first reported last month on the Illinois Department of Human Services plan to move migrants from South Suburban hotels to a temporary congregate housing facility that was, that was to have been set up at a former Kmart on 71st and Pulaski. Area political representatives pushed back, saying they didn't believe the plan accounted for the safety or the well-being of the migrants it's unclear what will happen to those particular asylum seekers now, but a source close to the situation says some of them have found independent living situations while others will continue to stay in hotels. The Chicago Fire have finally scored a deal to lease 26 acres of land for its new performance and training center on the near west side. But the deal has been the source of controversy for months since the land formerly belonged to the Chicago Housing Authority as the site of the massive ABLA homes. The city says under the long-term deal, the fire will finance its multimillion-dollar, 53,000-square-foot facility and provide an $8 million community investment in rehabbing and preserving nearby CHA housing. The lease is expected to generate $40 million in revenue for CHA over the next 40 years. Construction set to begin later this spring. Get ready to welcome a bunch of new faces to the Bears next season. The team was active on the first day of free agent signings, reportedly committing more than $100 million in long-term money for three veteran signings. They are offensive guard Nate Davis from Tennessee, linebacker Tremaine Edmonds from Buffalo, and linebacker T.J. Edwards from Philadelphia. This comes on the heels of the team's trade of the number one overall pick to Carolina in exchange for multiple draft picks and star wide receiver D.J. Moore. Up next, fallout from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. A look at the potential impact on your wallet right after this.
2: Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by Alexandra and John Nichols, the Jim and Kay Mabey family, the Polk Brothers Foundation, and the support of these donors.
3: President Joe Biden is looking to quell fears of the banking system today. The president announced the FDIC would ensure all the deposits at the failed Silicon Valley bank. The California bank collapse set off fears that other banks, especially regional ones, could be next. Today, Biden says his administration had to step in. Your deposits
1: will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And the hard employees can breathe easier as well.
3: And joining us to break this all down and explain what this could mean for you as the consumer are Professor of Economics at Loyola University, Chicago, Tassos Malyeres, and financial columnist and, and author, Terry Savage. Welcome both of you back to Chicago tonight. First, Tassos Malyeres, remind us the steps that led to this collapse and what was unique about this bank's background.
4: When we talk about... Uh, a run, we need to know that it takes a substantial amount of depositors to get panicked and simultaneously, all together, go and try to withdraw their deposits. This happened because the bank was highly specialized with uh, uh, firms rather than individuals, something like 90% of the deposits Two hundred billion were not insured, so they were by uh, venture capitalists who had big amounts, and they're watching what was happening. It so happened that on on Wednesday, a week ago, the bank needed some cash, and tried to sell something like twenty billion of their uh, bonds, and because those bonds uh, had lost a little bit of their value, they had. Some losses, so they, the market registered that. On Thursday, they tried to raise some capital, about two, two and a half uh, billion dollars. They were not successful, and these two events triggered the fact that forty billion dollars was ready to be withdrawn,
3: and, and thus all those things converged. <laughs> that Terry Savage. A lot of analysts say it's high interest rates and inflation that were really the precursors to this. Uh, Are these broader economic factors uh, to blame for what happened here?
5: Well, the high interest rates are. You know, Paris, all the times we've ever reported about failing banks, whether it was the savings and loans back in the 80s or whether it was the financial crisis of 2008, they made bad loans in the savings and loans. They made horrible mortgages, people that had no money back in 2008. This time, this bank decided it would take the depositors' money and would invest in U.S. government bonds, government-backed securities. They did so when all the money came in a year ago when rates were much lower. Now, here's what we all learned, Paris, last year when when both the stock and bond market went down. We learned that bonds go down, not because they're bad, but because when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Who wants your old 2% 10-year bond? if you can get a new 4% 10-year bond. So the bank was chock full of those low interest rate, mostly government securities. But when interest rates went up, the market value went down. That didn't matter unless they had to sell them to give the depositors their money back. Then they had to sell them at a loss, and that's what created this crisis. So yes, the Fed raising rates, so fast, so un- unexpectedly for many, um, was really what was behind us. uh, As the professor said, this whole system is based on confidence, and when people want their money out, especially if they know they're not insured, they grab it, and that's what happened.
3: But Terry, does this mean that banks with similar exposure could risk uh, the same outcome as SVB, or is is the fact that this bank uh, dealt with a specific uh, sort of group of customers in Silicon Valley, VCs, tech startups that, that caused what happened there?
5: And they were particularly vulnerable because they had this huge mix of uninsured deposits. That was the smart money. They didn't have to worry about the $250,000 limit. But over the weekend, which was such a tricky time, no other bank wanted to step up and buy this bank, figuring the customers could go away quickly. And there was a realization that panic could spread, that other banks could be vulnerable because they all own government bonds and the bonds have a market value of less so the fed stepped in and did some very unusual things first of all they said we're going to open a special window any bank can get their money at the face value of the bonds if they need them not mark to market at the lower value the market would dictate and the fdic said don't worry about it we're going to back all of this with our money and the taxpayers aren't going to pay for this. We'll assess the banks. We'll, of course, pass it on to the depositors and taxpayers. But between the Treasury, the FDIC, and the Fed, they came up with a plan to restore confidence. And to do it, they had to insure all those accounts and tell them even over 250000 they wouldn't lose any money. That was a big announcement. And that's
3: what well the panic today. It, it, so Tassos uh, Malieras, so the, this notion that the FDIC is going to ensure not just the standard 250,000, but all of the deposits, is that the right move? And is there a worry that that could cause some kind of moral hazard, or slippery slope? Because you don't want them doing this for every bank. It, it is the,
4: the right move because the, the money has not disappeared. The bank, the bank had the portfolio of 200 billion, it continues to have the same bonds, but if they were to, uh, to, to sell them, they would have dropped quite significantly to, let's say, 140. When the FDSC comes in and it has 140 billion itself for money that they collected through many, many years from fees like the president has, they will simply have to contribute 20 to 30 billion because the remaining assets continue to be good. And like Terry mentioned, bonds, these are government bonds, the best there is. They simply dropped because this bank had bought them 2020, 21, 22 during the years of COVID. And when interest rates went from zero to almost 5% the last year, they lost some of their value.
3: Terry Savage, is this situation uh, uh, an opportunity to look at regulations in the banking industry for instance uh, debt to asset ratios debt to equity ratios or things like that
5: you know we have a lot of regulations in the banking industry uh, so my question why the federal reserve bank of san francisco which oversees that particular bank silicon valley bank wasn't more aware that they had deposits that could move in an instant smart money calling and saying get your money out while they had assets that couldn't be sold currently because rates are up couldn't be sold for their full face value. So um, we've actually, a couple of years ago, there was a move to loosen some regulations because the burden of Dodd-Frank, which was supposed to guarantee safety and plenty of capital, was so expensive for community banks and regional banks. Uh, They said, well, you know, if you're a smaller bank, you don't have to go through some of these procedures. So it's a fine balance between banking regulation and the cost of regulation. And we throw in this wild card of the Fed raising rates, I think, Paris, the big question now is the Fed is creating money, literally, to give to the banking system, in addition to the FDIC, quote, fund. But the Fed is really opening its window. At the same time, the Fed says, we're fighting inflation. Everybody thought they would raise interest rates in two weeks and a week uh, by 50 per- basis points. Now the question is, will the Fed announce it's going to still fight inflation and raise rates a quarter of a percent, knowing that everybody's looking at the banks and what their balance sheets look like because when rates go up, the market value of your bond goes so, down. You can hold it to security. It'll be good. But right now, the market value is down. As rates go up, the values go down again.
3: So maybe this forcing the Fed to rethink that very quickly. We only have a few seconds, Tassos to Malares. But for folks in Chicago worried about uh, regional or local banks here, uh, how how? Well-positioned are these banks. I
4: I believe we should not really worry because the system, the banking system at large, is very, very stable. And what happened in this particular bank was simply because 20% of their clients, their depositors, went there, stood there and said, I need my money. So if we don't panic, everything will be
3: fine. All right, that, that usually tends to be the case in these, in, in a lot of these failures. Terry Savage, Tasso Malyeres, thank you both for joining us so much. And up next, what a new state law on paid leave means for you. But first, we take a look at the weather.
0: Illinois is now the third state in the country to require paid time off for employees. Amanda Vennecke joins us now with details, and Amanda, what exactly does this policy do?
6: Well, Brandis, once it takes effect, the state estimates that it is going to cover some 1.5 million workers, workers who currently have to make hard choices, according to advocates.
0: Can you imagine people in this state cannot take a sick day without being penalized or losing their pay? Now, let's think about that for just a second. Imagine your child is down with the flu, a bad cold, or even COVID, and you are one of these millions of people. You have to consider, should I leave my child home alone or risk losing my job?
6: Illinois' Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton says she served as her mom's caretaker when her mother was suffering from dementia. Thankfully, Stratton says she had her employer support.
0: There are far too many Illinoisans who are put between a rock and a hard place when life happens, and life does happen to all of us. Too many who feel like they have to choose between their job and their loved ones, and honestly, that is a false choice.
6: Stratton says that's bad for a worker's well-being, and she says it's not good for their work. If workers are scared to take off, continue to work when they're ill, she says that can make others sick.
3: Employers benefit from allowing employees to tend to the urgent personal matters of their lives. Workers' productivity increases, and they often gain greater passion for their job when they can manage the stresses that they face outside of work more easily.
6: To that end, major business groups like the State Retail Merchants Association and the Manufacturers Group back the measure. But small businesses do not Often, state law makes an exemption for firms with less than, say, 50 or 20 employees. That is not the case with this policy. Chris Davis heads the National Federation of Independent Businesses' Illinois chapter. He says small businesses are already dealing with generational inflation and trying to recover from the pandemic.
2: They're facing supply chain issues. There's a shortage of workers. They're struggling to keep their doors open right now. In fact, you see across the state... Many are restricting their hours of operation and finding it very difficult to meet the needs of their customers and clients.
6: He says most small business owners consider their employees family and will work with them when circumstances arise. But now he says they'll not only have to deal with workers being absent up to five days a year, they will also have to figure out when workers have accrued those 40 hours, something he says many small businesses are not technically equipped to do.
2: Most small businesses don't have broad-ranging policies. They don't have a human resources. They don't have a human resources department to implement a bunch of policies. Um, small business with part-time employees will now have the burden of tracking the hours.
0: Amanda, what else do people need to know about this?
6: Well, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the law today, but it doesn't actually take effect until next year. And technically, really, it wouldn't come into effect until the end of March because workers need to accrue all of those time off in that leave. Now, by and large, though, it does cover most Illinois workers, and they will get up to 40 hours, as I said, paid leave annually. And there's no need for a doctor's note or anything. This is paid leave for any reason the workers want.
0: Okay, Amanda Vanicke, thank you. Mm -hmm. We're back with more Chicago Tonight, right after this.
3: By day, Dr. Ricardo Rosencranz cares for premature infants and teaches medicine at Northwestern University. But by night, the good doctor transforms into the physician-magician. In his new show at the Rhapsody Theater, Rosencrantz weaves stories of his life and career into elegant illusions and feats of mentalism. Producer Erica Gunderson conjures up this story. Magicians, hear the word impossible,
6: and that's
5: where we start.
2: In medicine, every illness, big or small, carries a risk that you won't be able to make it. And sometimes impossible to heal might be something that either you hear or sits there and everything. So the medical profession is about impossibility. Oh, you're
7: telling
0: yes. us
2: For the
7: that
6: you want to go
2: family.
6: to yes,
0: that is Italy.
7: To neonatologist and magician Ricardo Rosencrantz, belief is the golden thread that connects two of his life's greatest pursuits.
2: I think the most magical thing about belief I, in medicine is belief that the person uh, that's there is going to take science and so apply this best the as they can for you. Say, Jeff, the physician magician, how to solve the Rubik's Cube, one page pamphlet, copyrighted before the pandemic. Seeing magicians do impossible things gives people hope. <laughs> Nothing else. And hope and empowerment help us move forward. Magic entered
7: my life. The medicine came before the magic for the physician magician. It wasn't until Rosencrantz was in his 30s that he began his pursuit of prestidigitation in yeah, his native Mexico.
2: new deck, open it.
7: His interest American deepened arts. when he moved to Chicago to complete Start his pediatric residency and met legendary
2: magician, historian, and philosopher Eugene Berger. I learned from Eugene that magic was just so much more than tricks, that there was this meaning and that the meaning was powerful. Some people in their 30s and 40s, they get cars and see psychiatrists, I saw Eugene.
7: Rosencrantz incorporated magic into his classes as a professor at Northwestern University and moonlighted performing his magic show, The Rosencrantz Mysteries. In 2022, when a historic Rogers Park Theater was put up for sale, Rosencrantz seized the chance to transform it into a showcase for magic and cabaret performance.
2: I'm a big believer that the art has to come to the neighborhoods, that we shouldn't all have to go to the loop to get culture. I just want you to cut. In his show at the Rhapsody Theatre, Rosenkranz
7: pulls so inspiration possible. from his own life to create oh an enchanting <laughs> new spectacle.
2: With COVID being the kind of very difficult time for everybody that it was, Shall we try it? I feel yeah. that sometimes people come to theatre to, yeah, but to forget, but oh. sometimes people come to theatre to remember and process. And so the theme for this particular show is loss. Thank you, so. Magic is about transformation, and life is about transformation, and that is what I've put in this show.
7: It also gives Rosencrantz the opportunity to offer another nod to his Mexican upbringing, Sunday performances of his show in Spanish.
2: The physician magician will be called El Medico Mago. You know, my mother- I'm Mexican. I grew up in Mexico. Uh, I fell in love with medicine in Mexico. I fell in love with magic in Mexico. And... I I need to do a show in Spanish that celebrates that and gives people an authentic performance in their first language, my first language. It is an image. It's signed by you. In watching all these wonderful, beautiful, beautiful, impossible things that happen, and hearing stories that are about life and the ups and downs of life and and are not necessarily prescriptive, though I'm a doctor, so I'm used to writing a prescription at the end, That when they walk out, they are energized and empowered for their own life. That,
3: for me, is really what I want.
7: For Chicago Tonight, this is Erica Gunderson.
3: Rosencrantz's show, Physician Magician, is at the Rhapsody Theater through April 2nd, including several shows presented in Spanish. You'll find more on that on our website.
0: And that's our show for this Monday night. Don't forget to stay connected with us by signing up for our daily briefing. And you can get Chicago Tonight streamed on Facebook, YouTube, and our website,
3: wttw.com slash news. You can also get the show via podcast and the PBS video app. And please join us tomorrow night live at 10. Lawmakers look to tighten regulations on the byproduct left at a former power plant in Waukegan. And outrage over the limited access to Grant Park this summer. Now, for all of us here at Chicago Tonight, I'm Brandis Friedman. And I'm Paris Schutz. Thanks for watching. Stay healthy and safe, and we'll see you tomorrow.
2: Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm
5: that's proud to serve its community through pro bono legal services.